0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
0: Hello and welcome to the Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the latest news from the Middle East is that the truce between Israel and Hamas has been extended. For two more days, it's a humanitarian truce to enable the exchange of uh, hostages, prisoners, and so far it has worked okay. The interlocutors are really Qatar, Egypt, and the United States, and the idea is that more prisoner exchanges will take place for hostages in the next 48 hours But the situation overall has a a very important Irish dimension, and that is the presence in Lebanon of Irish troops working under the UN flag, as it were, who have been in the Lebanon for a very long time. And there has been an exchange of fire between Hezbollah, who are based in the Lebanon, and the Israelis, but nothing too heavy, and Senator Tom Clonan is a security analyst and an author who exposed sexual harassment in the armed forces. He's a retired Irish army captain. He was elected to the Shaned in march twenty twenty two and he was deployed in South Lebanon as an officer commanding Irish troops under the United Nations uh, Interim Force in the Lebanon, and he knows exactly what this picture looks like. And it's a pleasure to welcome Senator Clonin to the stand. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. You know this scene very well. And uh, The first question I suppose people want to know is, how difficult is it for the Irish troops deployed on behalf of the UN at this moment, particularly bearing in mind the hard words and feelings between the UN and Israel.
2: It's an exquisitely difficult position for Irish troops. So just for the listeners, um, the Irish UNIFIL battalion, that's the United Nations Interim Force in Lebanon, is deployed just north of the border with Israel. So it's just on the border with Israel um, in South Lebanon. And on the one hand, you have Hezbollah, one of the most fanatical Islamic resistance groups in the Middle East, headed up by Sheikh Nasrallah in Beirut. And they are increasing their um, kind of routine attacks on Israeli positions on the border and firing missiles and rockets at civilian targets in northern Israel. And then in the north of Israel, the the, the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, Again, one of the most uh, efficient killing machines on the planet, for want of a better expression. Yes. They're deployed now north-facing, and there's, at the moment, a very, very tense standoff between the Israelis and Hezbollah. And the Irish troops are literally in the middle. So we have two roles there. One is where the eyes and ears are. Of the international community. As UN peacekeepers, we witness and bear witness to the activities of both sides. And we're also there, and, and this was my experience in, in 96 during Operation Grapes of Wrath, when the Israelis launched a massive retaliatory and punitive operation against the people of South Lebanon uh, and against Hezbollah. And we, we came under sustained uh, fire from both the Israelis and Hezbollah for the period of March and April 1996, you know, literally tens of thousands of helicopter gunship attacks, uh, missile strikes, uh, artillery attacks, uh, airstrikes, you know, night and day, 24 hours, seven days a week. So I've had direct experience of what that's like.
0: Yes, and just to point out, uh, Tom, to our listeners that Operation Grapes of Wrath the Israeli project culminated in a massacre of refugees in the village of Kana in April 1996.
2: Yeah, and critically, the the civilians that were massacred that day were actually sheltering on a United Nations peacekeeping position. They had actually right. fled from the villages onto U- a UN peacekeeping position, uh, our, our neighbouring one in the village of Kana, and uh, over 100 men, women and children were killed that day, and that and I think there's an echo of what's happening at the moment that prompted the Clinton administration to broker a ceasefire yes. between Hezbollah and the Israelis. So back to today, the, the battalion, the Irish battalion, which has just rotated. So there's a new deployment of troops to, to South Lebanon. They, they will be carrying out their routine patrols and that. Is a very important component of the mission is to get out into the villages and up and down the little Boreens and through the the the, 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 the kind of uh, settlements in and along the border, talking to locals, getting a sense of what's happening on the ground, liaising both with contacts on both sides of the of the conflict with Hezbollah. And there are good lines of communication between the Irish and Hezbollah. There are good lines, excellent lines of communication between the Irish and the Israelis. The second thing they do is, in the event of an incident, if, as has been the case in the last couple of weeks, journalists are killed or attacked, or if uh, civilians are targeted and attacked and killed, the Irish will respond to that, uh, along with the other nationalities, to provide security, to allow medical assistance to be brought in, to allow the injured and and so on, to be medically evacuated. So you've got that second level of response. And then it has to be said that if this conflict escalates, um, Hezbollah are more than able to take on um, the Israeli military in northern Israel because it would represent a second front.
0: Yes, and they have more uh, firepower than Hamas, I I understand, Hezbollah. The issue... Being or the question at the moment is that the Americans have sent two warships there and I think two thousand five hundred troops as a signal to the Iranians who back Hezbollah that if they get involved in a big way, America is there. Is that would you say the signal they're sending? Uh, Absolutely, the 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 U.S. military, the, the U.S. administration have
2: sent two aircraft carrier battle groups to the eastern Mediterranean. That's a massive deployment. and It's a a major signal to the Iranian regime because I I should have said the Iranians direct and control Hezbollah and the decision whether or not Hezbollah opens up a second front in northern Israel is a matter for the uh, Iranian leadership. And they may seek to exploit a second front because it would put Israel under considerable pressure. The last time the Israelis and Hezbollah really Engaged one another in a serious way was in 2006. And that was 10 years after the massacre at Qana. And Hezbollah have evolved tactics, training, strategies that really, you know, en- enabled them to take on the Israelis in a more much more meaningful way than they had in the past and to actually inflict significant casualties on, on the Israelis back in 2006. Now, since 2006... We've had the invasion of Iraq and the collapse of, of the U.S.-backed kind of um, attempt to transplant democracy there or yes. start some sort of democracy there. And so the Iranians now enjoy um, an axis of influence and a land corridor through Baghdad in Iraq, through Damascus in Syria, right into Lebanon, to Sheikh Nazarallah in Beirut on the Mediterranean. And they actually have a land corridor from Israel right down to the border with, with with northern Israel. And so they can supply and reinforce Hezbollah ad infinitum with missiles. And they have already supplied Hezbollah with an, an extremely large arsenal of missiles, some of them very, very sophisticated, capable of reaching targets as far south as, as Tel Aviv. So as the Israeli military now really begin to struggle, I think, with their stated war aim of completely destroying Hamas in Gaza. And if you want, we can talk about that a little bit more. As they really begin to struggle with that, and they have this uh, temporary ceasefire at the moment while hostages are handed over to kind of regroup and reconsolidate themselves. If a second front is opened in northern Israel, the Israeli military will be under pressure. And they could actually... Get, um, you know, su- suffer some serious, some serious setbacks, which would have a huge psychological impact on Israeli society, which really believes in the kind of mythology of its military to secure the state. Yes. And that's why the Americans have sent their two aircraft battle groups. And you mentioned the two and a half thousand troops. They've also sent a marine expeditionary force and it does what it says in the tin. They would be prepared to go ashore and actually fight, join in the, in, in, in the conflict. Now, the Biden administration do not want this. The Iranians have the luxury of being able to conduct this as a kind of a proxy war, although yes. I dare say Israel would would, would launch missile and airstrikes at, at Iranian targets. And if you look at the wider picture, Vladimir Putin's principal ally in the war in, in Ukraine, his criminal invasion of Ukraine, has, be, has been the Iranian regime. They've been supplying him with weapons, technology, drones, and so on. Um, so, the outbreak of hostilities and the bogging down of the Israeli military suits Vladimir Putin's agenda because the strategic stockpile of joint direct attack munitions or pre- yes. precision munitions is now being very, very rapidly depleted by the Israelis. And it that has an impact on what can be supplied to Zelensky in his uh, defense of Ukraine and their attempt at a, at a summer now winter offensive. So this all really suits Vladimir Putin it suits the iranians yes. to see the west under pressure and so the risk of a regional escalation is real because we we've, we've seen on in both the russian and iranian part a willingness to use indiscriminate force you know the sh- the, the bombing of aleppo by iranian using iranian munitions and backed by the russians and so on, in, in the in the war in, in Syria to to back up and prop up Assad's regime. So there's, there's a lot in play both regionally uh, and globally. The Americans will be wanting to try and contain this and avoid an escalation. And the rest of the Gulf states, Amen. the Saudis, the uh, United Arab Emirates, the Bahrainis, the Qataris will be watching this with great interest because they fear Iran as much as Israel does. And so it's, it's very interesting, the role that Qatar is playing in facilitating the release of hostages in order to extend and hopefully, you know, arrive at a more permanent ceasefire.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
3: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Just to have a look for a moment, Tom, and see if there's any significance in this, Uh, Antonio uh, Guterres, the Secretary General of the UN, has been trenchant in his condemnation of what the Israelis are doing, he also said of the October 7th terrorist attack by Hamas, and I do call them terrorists, on the Israelis, which saw 1,200 people murdered, including men, women, children, and 260 hostages taken. This was a, a terrorist attack. However, as Israel geared up for this invasion of Gaza, Gutierrez said that even October the 7th had a context, at which point the Israelis called for him to resign. So, Israel are at war with the UN in a way, in in a propaganda war, or if you like, they have been identified by uh, Gutierrez as, you know, really war criminals and ethnic cleansers. Does that in any way undermine or threaten the Irish troops who are there?
2: I think the Irish troops, as has always been the case, are at risk in the the exchange of fire between Hezbollah and uh, the Israelis. And if you look at the casualties endured by the Irish over the years in Lebanon, approximately 50% of them have been inflicted by Israeli forces or their proxies, and about 50% have been inflicted by Hezbollah or other groups like Palestinian resistance groups that are exiled in, in South Lebanon. So we, we've always been in the middle, and that risk is always there. You can't eliminate the risk, so the military leadership will be employing whatever force protection measures they can to uh, to protect the troops. But, you know,
0: it, it has to be we've said... We've lost though, 48. Uh, am I right in believing... Yeah, on, and most uh, recently most 48 recently... 48 Irish... Troops have died in the 23 years since we sent peacekeepers there,
2: and we lost we lost um, troops almost j- just under just just under a year ago. Yes, in in the increase in tension in, in the region. But I just want to be really clear about this: Hamas are exactly the same as Islamic State, and that's the context that I think is important to remember. Hamas is a death cult. It's an extreme Salafist, uh, what they call Wahhabi form of Sunni Islam that seeks the complete destruction of Israel and all Israelis, and in fact, not just Jews, but all non-Muslims or Kufars as they refer to them. They want to set up, like Islamic State, like Al-Qaeda, a caliphate in the Middle East Destroy, you know, completely eliminate Israel.
0: Well, now, interestingly, Lara Marlowe has a piece in the Irish Times today, Tom, that contradicts that analysis, and that is is, is quite pres- persuasive. But it certainly has been the impression I've had until I read that piece this morning. They now have resiled from that position and are somewhat more willing to have a two-state solution, and that perhaps. I mean, the Israelis' public relations exercise has really—I don't think it's been effective because it's been so brazen. But I don't want to put you off your, off yeah. your stride. No, I,
2: if I, I just say, like, th- th- to be honest, uh, notwithstanding Lara Marlowe's analysis, th- yeah. the fact of the matter is what the what Hamas did on October the seventh—you know—to indiscriminately targeting the civilian yes. population and to murder and butcher and take hostages. And they knew they had a collapsing window of opportunity. That's why they took the, the hostages so so quickly. Right. And of course they they have, you know, th- there'll be a pragmatism when when they're under pressure to try and, you know, particularly after the deaths of 15,000 at this point, yes. Palestinian Two civilians. thirds of
0: them women and children.
2: Yeah, it's an, it's an appointing But I just want to be really clear that, you, you know, when, when people like me or you, Eamon, or people like the Taoiseach or the Taunushta comment on what the Israelis are doing, we're always accused of being Hamas sympathizers. So I just want to make it really clear. Right. That Hamas, clear, yes. It's, yeah. it's a death cult. And, and they are, they, so they broke all of the Geneva conventions. This is Hamas on October the yes. 7th. And they continue to do so in, in Gaza because, They're in direct contravention of Article 51 of the Geneva Conventions by operating within and amongst the civilian population. The Israelis have an obligation to provide an evacuation, a safe evacuation route, and a safe zone with with proper food, water, rations, power, etc., for the civilian population. They haven't done that, but neither have Hamas. Now, to move it on a little bit, Israel's stated aim is, is to destroy Hamas, to kill and remove all of its operatives. There are believed to be as many as 40,000 of them. Yes. To put that in context, the coalition-backed forces went into Raqqa in Syria to destroy and remove all of the ISIS fighters there. There were about anything up to 20,000 in Raqqa, and a similar number in Mosul in Iraq. So yes. like the Israelis are doing today, they surrounded the cities, cut them off, and then began to move in street by street, house by house, cellar by cellar, to destroy and eliminate Islamic State. And they managed to disrupt them and break them up and remove them. That took almost a year in each case. It took right. 10 to 11 months. Mark Regev, Netanyahu's principal spokesperson and yes, advisor. We've he seen said, him on
0: television the temptation is to turn the sound down yeah, when he's being he, questioned. So, so, so he has stated
2: explicitly that what they intend to do in uh, Gaza, and this is where I think he's given a hostage to fortune, is is what was done in Raqqa and Mosul. He sees that he has stated publicly that that's the model of or the concept of operations that informs what Israel are trying to do. So, if that's the case to get into Gaza City, which is a population of over a million people, uh, and then to go south and do the same thing in Yunis, it's going to take the Israeli military at least a year. But the difference between Hamas and Islamic State is that Hamas have had over a decade, almost two decades, to build a subterranean network of tunnels. Yes. And I'm sorry, but The Israelis have a huge technological advantage with precision-guided munitions. They have these big Merkava tanks. They're, you know, incredible fighting machines. They've brought them in 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 very large numbers. They also have these new armored personnel carriers that are based on the Merkava chassis. They're called NAMR armored personnel carriers. They, They have layers of ceramic, steel, reactive armor, depleted uranium. But when they get into the street-by-street fighting, which is the next phase, if this ceasefire comes to an end, Israeli troops are going to have to to dismount from those vehicles. And they're going to have to go into the cellars and the the homes. They're going to have to go down into that tunnel network and fight hand-to-hand, face-to-face with Hamas. And I think that that will lead to uh, a rise in Israeli casualties And it'll also lead to a huge increase in the number of civilian deaths because, despite the evacuation order and the expulsion of the civilian population, the forcible removal, which is you know contrary to the Geneva Conventions and the laws of armed conflict, there are still
0: cleansing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, there are still about two hundred thousand people trapped in. in Gaza Gaza City. And, you know, from my experience watching this happen in Lebanon, the people who can't flee are the elderly, people with children or adult children with disabilities, people who are seriously ill, mothers trying to nurse a baby, and people who are just simply terrified because it has been the case that people leaving um, because of Israel's failure to provide a safe passage and a safe zone, uh, people have been killed out in the open. They've been they've targeted trucks and buses and envoys of civilians fleeing south. So I think that in this digital era, you know, the Israelis rely on the, you know, people like Netanyahu and the hardliners rely on the mythology in their past of strong men and strong women, Moshe Dayan, Golda Meir. You know, the physical force response yes. to the threat. But that might have been okay in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But in 2024, every second, every minute, every moment of the next phase of this war will be uploaded on digital platforms and spread spread around the world. And it's going to bring Israel into disrepute. It's going to be harmful and and pose a serious threat to the security and and the ongoing sort of um, Status of Israel, and I say that as a person who admires the Israeli people and who believes that they have an inalienable right to their statehood and to and to live, you know, unmolested. But I think what they're doing at the moment under at Benjamin Netanyahu's direction is a missed step, and I'm I'm really hoping that the the line of communication that has now been opened, principally between the Biden administration, directly into Hamas might bear fruit and that we might see a permanent ceasefire. And as you were alluding to in Lara Marlow's analysis, that there might be a moderation of the unrealistic and completely unethical terrorist aims of Hamas and a more pragmatic approach where we could have a a two-state solution in, in the medium term. Because in order for Israel to survive, Amen, they need allies and friends in the region. They cannot be in a permanent eternal state war footing or state of conflict because we know from history that any state or system that is on a permanent war footing eventually ends in failure and destruction.
0: Yes, and just before October 7th, which was the catalyst for all of this, they were getting very f- close to being friendly with Saudi Arabia and indeed to signing some kind of mutual Pact uh, based on friendship and trade. There is one thing in, in your analysis that I, I'd, I'd like to ask you about, Tom, is the U.S. and This is an election year. Biden is losing votes because of his support for Israel, his unqualified support for Israel. Lincoln is going back to Israel tomorrow. This will be his third visit. I mean, this Israeli campaign has a very real potential to take the White House from the Democrats and Joe Biden and hand it to Donald Trump. That must be a serious consideration for Biden at this stage. And does he have any leverage?
2: Well, I think the, the actions of the Biden administration have been very interesting. Like Hamas are a, a terrorist organization uh, listed by the United States principally and others as a terrorist organization. And the Qataris uh, host the leadership of Hamas in Doha and they've allowed them to live there openly, to operate yes. there openly. They, they appear on Al Jazeera from time to time, which is Qatar's state broadcaster or, or operates from, from Qatar. And in fact, so much so that the Saudis, United Arab Emirates, the Egyptians, the Bahrainis boycotted and blockaded Qatar from 2017 to 2021 for four years, just because of their anger at them for for hosting these kind of extreme Hamas leadership. And they were also very critical of their facilitation of, of the Taliban in a similar way. But... The Qataris now suddenly find themselves in this position where they have been the conduit or way for the U.S. administration to communicate directly with Hamas. And it was interesting before the Israelis began their ground invasion. The Americans did a trial run. So they've been sending, as you, as you identified, the, you know, Anthony Blinken, but also Brett McGurk. Biden's Middle East coordinator. He he he's been
0: in the region, dealing the directly head with of the CIA. Also, yeah, Bill been. Burns yes. has also been yes. there,
2: and they, they so they did a trial run on the twenty third of October, just before the Israeli ground phase. They managed to get two American citizens, uh, two American Israeli citizens, Natalie and Julie Rana. Out, these are the elderly couple. I remember there was very dramatic footage of them, yes. sort of, you know, yes. exchanging kind of farewells with the with the Hamas hostage takers as they were released, and that allowed the American th- that that was proof of life, and that showed that it was possible to get hostages out because up to that point my understanding is that Benjamin Netanyahu w- w- had set his face against any kind of negotiation with Hamas, similar to the way in which Margaret Thatcher, and I'm, I'm not drawing in the, the comparison between the provisional IRA and Hamas, but, you know, we'll never talk to terrorists. Yes, A- and he has delegated his, you know, the Israel's role in these negotiations to the head of um, Mossad, David Baranea. So, this sudden development now, where, where we're having dozens of hostages, including Emily Hand, thankfully, you know, saved yes. from 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 captivity. And um, th- this is a very very dramatic development. I mean, Israel have been in their ground incursion for one month now. They started on the twenty seventh of October, so it's one month and one day, and they have achieved really very very little. They've managed to bring Israel into disrepute by shelling hospitals, by ki- by killing, yes. you know, so many thousands of of innocent men, women, and children. It's a clumsy, blunt instrument. It's not the way to defeat an organisation like Hamas. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens next. But I agree with you. And um, if, if Israel resumes their onslaught on Gaza after a, a further period of temporary ceasefire, you're going to see the number of civilian casualties rise exponentially on, for two reasons. One, in the close combat that's going to take place in Gaza City and then Khan Yunus. And also because of the the deteriorating humanitarian catastrophe as winter comes in and people will die of exposure and malnutrition untreated. You know, it's just an apocalyptic humanitarian catastrophe unfolding in slow motion and being uploaded every moment onto digital platforms. In that scenario, I think the Iranians will give Hezbollah the instruction to open up a second front. And that's where the Americans... Do not want to get involved. They don't want to send that marine expeditionary force to fight that marine expeditionary force ashore to fight. And the Biden administration will be under tremendous pressure not to have troops on the ground. If you remember, the whole emphasis of the Obama yes. administration was to get their troops home, get them out. And this will play to Trump's playbook. It will suit the Russians. It will suit the Iranians. And if I were the Chinese leadership, I would, be, I would have a very large box of popcorn and I'd be watching this with great interest as, yes. as the West ties itself up in knots.
0: That's a very interesting analysis, Tom, and we're really grateful to you for joining us on the stand today. We would like to thank Tom, all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that